And we are your hosts for today's broadcast, following top news stories of the day. Good, great, grand, wonderful. I have a bad feeling about this. What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? It's the good, the bad, and the what? Lost your train of thought, didn't I? <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The What, the show in which we dissect what makes a movie good, bad, or other within a certain theme, category, subgenre, or filmography. I'm Ryan Oliver. And I'm Chris Thomas. And today we are going to do something a little different. We are finally going to get to our first mini-sode that we have teased over the past couple of weeks. We went through Godzilla films, we went through King Kong films, but we are here. We are here to the the showdown, the smackdown, the, the big fights that everyone's been waiting for. Uh, we are going to discuss Godzilla versus Kong today in full, and that's just all we're going to do. Uh, of course, we're probably going to get into the uh, Warner Brothers monster verse as a whole as we've either uh, rewatched some of them, actually rewatched all of them or watched them for the first time. Uh, getting ready for this movie. Um, so we're going to talk about that a little bit, but just so people know, we are going to get into spoilers for Godzilla versus Kong. Um, it's been out for almost a week now, both in theaters and HBO Max. Um, so if you haven't got a chance to see it, uh, we will let you know a little bit, maybe 10 to 15 minutes in the episode when we really get into spoilers to turn back and check out the movie and then come back and listen to us. But um, let's just dive right into it. Um, the MonsterVerse. Um, I, I, I guess that's a good place to start, Chris. I, I will ask you, how have you felt, how have you been feeling about the MonsterVerse movies uh, so far leading up to Godzilla vs. Kong? Sure. I, well, the MonsterVerse it, it generally is pretty strange uh, because it feels like a, a lot of different um, there's no cohesive through line. And I mean, of course, they're, they're changing up filmmakers between movies um, it, it feels kind of cobbled together uh, now that we're at the end of it, sort of looking back, especially upon rewatch, since uh, the tone will shift uh, completely. Um, it, there's definitely things shared between uh, the Godzilla movies, not so much Kong Skull Island, but um, in terms of the, the human element and some of the characters will carry over and, and they reference the older movies. And so I think coming out the other side of it, um, if I can just give first impressions on um, this movie, I would say I, I enjoyed um, Godzilla versus Kong. I it's either my favorite of the uh, recent MonsterVerse movies, or uh, you know close to it, arguably, um, with probably 2014's uh, Godzilla. Um, but I, for completely different reasons that I think we would need to sort of get into the nitty gritty on them for. So I think. Um, calling out spoilers up top is is probably for the best I'll try to avoid them as much as possible up top uh, but we're I'm gonna like we're gonna have to get into the story structure of these to really explain um, how they go sideways which could incidentally result in a 
uh, good, bad, what episode as we talk about the good and the bad, the what of uh, really the four movies that are in this MonsterVerse. Yeah, I think that definitely is something that we're going to get into for sure. And then before we get into Godzilla versus Kong, I'll just give you my thoughts on the movies as well. And I think I, I agree with you. I think Godzilla versus Kong, I, I don't think it's the best one, but it's certainly the most enjoyable. And I think we'll definitely get into the reasons why. I still think the 2014 Godzilla um, a movie I was pretty cool on when I saw it in 2014, but have have warmed up considerably. Um, you know, I really like that that movie really gets into, you know, Godzilla as a force of nature and like the way that the movie, you know, takes a book out of Spielberg's playbook, essentially, and like does the like Jaws like tease of Godzilla and the way that it handles POV, I think is really, really strong. Um, but it also has resulted in some herky jerky tone and i think i mm. will you know i think you know you you mentioned that and i want to kind of elaborate on that because the 2014 godzilla um for all intents and purposes is like the came out in the midst of like the the gritty reboot you know uh stretch uh after you know especially after the success of the the christopher nolan dark knight films there were a lot of like popular franchises that were getting a reboot with like a, a sort of like gritty uh, like sans color, uh, like color palette. Um, and Godzilla certainly fits in that tone and then or fits that mold. And then contrast that with 2017's uh, Kong Skull Island, which is like a huge like splash of color. Um, it gets right into Kong. I was going to say in the first like 20 minutes of the movie, but we see him in the first like two minutes of the movie uh, with oh, the yeah. World War II uh, flashback in that film. And that movie is like inherently like funnier and uh, by design. And it's just, it's a contrastingly different film. And then you have a weird, and then you find like 2019's Godzilla King of the Monsters kind of in a weird middle ground from the standpoint of like it still has characters carrying over from the 2014 one. It still has themes coming uh, carrying over from the 2014 one. Um, but the Kong Skull Island was the better reviewed and made at least a little bit more money than uh, Godzilla 2014. And so it's like it finds itself in a weird middle ground of like having that serious tone versus kind of dipping into sillier goofier elements like i think specifically like bradley whitford's character in that movie for example is like the comic mm -hmm. relief character uh like because there's none of that in the 2014 one so it's got a weird herky-jerky tone whereas this one i think really comes back around to really the tone i think of kong skull island for sure and and um for all intents and purposes, I mean, this feels more of a sequel to Kong Skull Island. I, I, Kong is the main character of this movie. Um, you know, of course, a, a certain amount of human characters have carried over from Godzilla, King of the Monsters. But this this is King Kong's movie. And, and I think it mm -hmm. makes sense. It makes sense, given the fact that we've had two Godzilla movies in this monsterverse. And we've only had one King Kong one. So this is definitely more his story. He has kind of the hero's journey and the hero's arc of this film. I'm glad that you brought up that tonally Godzilla versus Kong is closer in tone to uh, Kong Skull Island than it is to uh, either you know Godzilla or King of the Monsters. Um, not only because King Kong is obviously like the protagonist and, and the main character of the film, um, but it, it, the what the Kong Skull Island did differently than the previous two Godzilla movies is it's completely stripped down the the human elements um but it did it incorrectly so that would be my biggest gripe with the 
um, Kong Skull Island movie is that Kong is treated very well. The humans are um, all static, all flat. Uh, the, the, none of them are very interesting. Um, it, John C. Riley being like the only exception. I was going to um, say but, John C. Riley has got the the, the best uh, arc of that movie for sure, other than is, Kong himself. <laughs> and as far as John C. Riley movies go, that's usually you know par for the course. He's great. Uh, I love John C. Riley. But the rest of the characters in there, they don't they really don't like emote. They're just sort of uh, lazily drifting from here to there. And the story itself is sort of um, drawn out into different story threads. None of them are very interesting. And they're just sort of haphazardly thrown together in order to advance where Kong is moving around the island. Mm -hmm. And the, the Godzilla versus Kong movie more or less does the same thing, but I think to an even further degree where they're not trying to ground it in a human world. This is very much a monster's world and there's humans in it. So as like the plot progresses and things are happening, the humans are there more or less to open the door for the next monster thing to happen. Um, they, we're not really dwelling too long in their motivations or what how they're taking the situation in, especially in, in the case of like uh, Millie Bobby Brown and uh, those characters, whenever they're on the screen, they're more or less just there in order to just like trigger the next thing. They, they, they are swept up in the plot and not really affecting much of anything themselves. Unless until of course, the deus ex whiskey that comes in at the end of the movie is really like the only effectual thing that they do. Other than that, they're there to sort of let the audience peek behind the curtains and be like, well, there is a sort of a sidebar story going on and here's like a piece of it. And then we're gonna cut back to more monster punching. Um, yeah, that's a valid- a structure. It is a strange structure, though I think uh, you're right in that this carries the torch from Kong Skull Island, but it's like, oh, it's like, it's like so close in this movie as far as like the human element is concerned. And I guess, um, again, I'm going to mention once again, I think this is about the time we are going to get into full bone spoilers, or if not, like we'll accidentally get into them in the conversation. So this I is the point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it relatively, <laughs> you did without context. So yes. I think that's okay. But we are going to get into it from here on out. So if you've not seen Godzilla vs. Kong and you want to, turn away now and stop listening. But I was going to say the human element. In the, yeah, but the, the human element of this movie is what they do what they do smartly, I think. It, I mean, they strip it down. In, in my biggest gripe with Kong Skull Island is like the, the characters are flat. Um, you know, that seems to be pretty par for the course for like the, the Toho pictures. You know, there are a lot of archetypal mm -hmm. characters. That's fine. I can get past that. But there's so goddamn many characters in Kong Skull Island. And then the movie comes along. Yeah. Like, as it goes along, it starts introducing more characters as it goes along. Um, couple that with um, another thing this movie does well that Kong Skull Island does to an annoying extent. Kong Skull Island has, like, what I call, like, the Suicide Squad needle drop syndrome. Now, <laughs> you, you are a very fortunate enough uh, human being to have never seen Suicide Squad, and you should keep it that way. But that movie has, like, an obnoxious needle drop for every, like, character introduction in it, and it's the most, like, ubiquitous, on-the-nose choice that you could make. And mm -hmm. this movie, similarly, it's, like, time has come today by the chamber brothers and like there's two credence songs and paranoid by black sabbath there, what 
Sorry. Is there only is there only two? It seriously felt like they went through the discography. I was just like, <laughs> oh cool. Oh, we're on Green River now. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a Vietnam movie. We have to have created songs. Um, <laughs> but um, no, they only have two in it, but still it's well, maybe they have more, but there were like two like back to back, and it was just like, oh my god, enough. Okay. Um, there's a lot of stuff I like about that movie, but like there's some really grating stuff versus this movie there are inherently less human characters. And I think that's mm -hmm. a good thing. And it also helps that they are split up, you know, because there are humans uh, following around Kong. Uh, you have the uh, monarch uh, scientist played by Rebecca Hall. Uh, you have the hollow earth, um, hollow earth researcher played by Alexander Skarsgård. You have the native girl from the island, from Skull Island, uh, Gia played by Kaylee Hoddle. And you have their plight into getting Kong to hollow earth because mm -hmm. they think that well number one i guess we should go back because even though the human element is stripped significantly and it moves which like this movie does move i think that's another good thing about it it moves it moves it moves lightning quick it is lightning quick yeah this movie i think before credits it's 107 minutes long so it is the shortest monsterverse movie to date um but it is still it's the most streamlined but it's still like unnecessarily convoluted so sure. there you know because there's 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 an evil tech company um who's headed by damien bashir uh who wants to uh who who believes uh that alexander skarsgård is correct in hollow earth and that there is a element down in hollow earth that he wants for technical reasons um, we of course later find out again, or in spoilers, that it's to power Mechagodzilla, that he's creating Mechagodzilla. Um, but his creation of Mechagodzilla, at least the the heart of it, and this is before we know that that's the case, even though because we've seen movies, we know that is going to be the case anyway. Um, Godzilla comes out from the water, starts attacking their base in Florida, um, and then Millie Bobby Brown and Kyle Chandler. Uh, left over from King of the Monsters are wondering why Godzilla is aggravated, why he's out there attacking people. We don't know why um, that sort of thing. So we have that yeah. whole element. And then one of the employees for the tech company is uh, played by Brian Tyree Henry, who has a podcast that is about like Kaiju truth. He's like a Kaiju truther. Um, and he's like, he's like an inside, uh, you know, I mean, his, his he must he's be doing on. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say that. He's definitely a, a, a tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist, but he's more right. like, he's basically trying to expose, because he's an engineer at this tech company. So he's trying to expose the shady shit that's going on between uh, at the tech company. Um, right. So he and Millie Bobby Brown and her, one of her classmates played by Julian Dennison, who basically steals his brother's car, team up and then they go to research what's going on at this company it doesn't really get i know this sounds incredibly convoluted and it is but like when you watch it 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 makes about as much sense as it can um i know like i know i'm not doing it justice i'm trying to like lay it out for everybody but i think like when you watch the movie it does make a lot more sense um but it's also like this is a movie where a lizard and a giant ape fight each other it should not be this complicated <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that's sort of the strength of the movie is that it, it doesn't really ask the audience to try to do that. Like it, it's pretty obvious early on that the movie is just like, this is a monster movie. Shut the fuck up. We're, we're just going, we need to get to the plot points to get these guys to come together. We'll try and do it in a, a, a visually satisfying way. That's exciting. And it keeps everybody uh, invested. 
but more or less like there's just just future tech that is not explained and we don't need it to be explained we just need to get from a to b this is totally a like shut off your brain and enjoy it movie which typically i i don't enjoy but i think having us recently gone through and watched all of the like well not all because there's still a ton of them, but a majority of the kong movies of the godzilla movies and seeing both attempts on either side um, that really dig into the human characters and try and make you feel for them or don't give a shit about them at all or barely feature monsters in the last 10 minutes where they fight or in this one where there's a fuck ton of uh, fighting. There, there's been all sorts of different flavors, all sorts of different kinds. And I think that this is a really effective blending of both in that if if you just accept what it's handing you at face value, um, it, it makes enough sense to where you're like, okay, I sure. Well, I'll, I'll take your word for it and get me the next plot beat. But I mean, I, there was definitely a part of my brain that like every time a new plot element was introduced, I had to take like a big step back and just like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, you, you, okay. Like, why are we just accepting that this is happening now? And it like, I think, one one of the things I wanted to I think the most unbelievable thing about Apex, which is this evil uh, uh, tech giant corporation, when um, Godzilla shows up and he just wrecks it with his nuclear breath, like carves the place in half, frying people, just destroys the whole thing. There's apparently like a Benihana or something. Like there's a whole bunch of people um, in, in like Hawaiian t-shirts and stuff that are eating in an outdoor cafe that go running for their lives, which is I thought was really strange that they had, you know, like a Jimmy Buffett uh, restaurant in the middle of this uh, super tech company. But there's apparently a whole bunch of people there and they're all running away. Everything's exploding. Helicopters are crashing everything. And then Millie Bobby Brown is watching it on the news the next morning on CNN. And it's like six dead, 12 injured. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I will say I, I don't, I'm not as, uh, as phased or think it's unbelievable that there'd be a, a Benihana there. I mean, there's plenty of tech companies that have uh, restaurants either inside or uh, like it, attached to their building. So that one doesn't really like bother me too much, but it does because the standpoint, but like what does is like the, yeah, the collateral damage and just be like, oh yeah, Godzilla just killed six people. And so it's like, uh, I mean, no Right. Well, I mean, yeah, it could be that there's more, but I guess what doesn't sit well with me on that is that, you know, usually, I mean, usually there's a, a evacuation of the city, you, mm -hmm. which which does happen in the big fight later in Hong Kong, and usually they're like Godzilla isn't like inadvertently trying to attack people. I mean, he's he's a force of nature, but it's like he's sure. not like inter like trying to attack people. And so it's it's like that doesn't totally sit well. Of course, then it's all explained later. Um, but to get back to just a little bit, I, I know I went a little long in the tooth there, but I um but I, I want to uh, just tie it back to what I was saying about like that human element compared to Kong Skull Island, where it's like it's trimmed down considerably in terms of the amount of characters. And same with King of the Monsters as well, which is great. But I wish that they would have expanded a little bit more, like, because it just feels like there's stuff cut. That feels like there's stuff missing from the human element. And I feel like, it, it, I feel like it's a, it's like, uh, you know, setting a certain bar and where it's like met or exceeded in, in like, in terms of 
these monster movies they're always best when the monsters act as a vessel for like the thematic purpose um and that the humans are just like they're bystanders but they're there and i think that is what really works with the 2014 one and even though i think there are varying degrees of successes and failures to both Kongskull Island and King of the Monsters. I think thematically, both those movies are a bit more ambitious in what they're trying to say compared to this movie. Um, you know, the whole like kind of Vietnam allegory of like, well, we lost the war, but uh, maybe we could turn it around and turn it into a victory with the exploitation of this habitat or the like, mm -hmm. um, you know, like the who are the real monsters question at, at the center of King of the Monsters, especially the subplot with um, Charles Dance and Vera Farmiga. Um, yeah. like those things whether or not they're successful they're a bit more ambitious than here which is basically like a Frankenstein's monster mankind attempting to play god and the nature coming to uh keep it in check it, it's a pretty not like you know the most elaborate or the most like profound thematic but because that this movie executes that at least executes its bar i think it definitely helps as well that it, it like oh okay it all makes sense yeah and i mean that theme is also sort of at the heart of godzilla as a character right right I mean, like the, the original godzilla was about that very thing about man playing god and then nature stepping in to show like no this like you don't run this shit so i i, I think <laughs> yeah i think also what you're talking about is th this movie could be described as an overcompensation of the critiques of the earlier films. Yeah. Um, I know going back and, and rewatching, and we were even talking about it, watching like King of the Monsters, it, the fights all happening at night in a rainstorm or in a blizzard. And so everything's sort of muddy and obscured and it's like a, a pretty one-tone color palette. And then as the monsters come together and they get ready to fight, we away to Millie Bobby Brown who's 10 miles down the coast who's like watching it like from a distance through a rainy car window and in we're just like no I know what do we I want to see I'm here to watch the monsters fight and so like there's some of that going on there whereas in this one it's now using those human elements to get us to the monster fights and putting them center stage and shooting them in wide shots and using very cool um I mean it's CGI but it, using very cool um, movements of the frame in order to keep the action in there and keep it exciting, keep it kinetic. Um, the the sound design is super well done. Uh, the the color palette is uh, hopping like that that fight in in downtown Hong Kong with all of the vibrant colors and neon lights and stuff lighting everything with Godzilla's nuclear breath uh, tearing through the screen in a bright uh, a bright and vibrant blue. Uh, and then you cut to uh, dawn we have sunlight coming in it's a full fight in like the middle of the day so they, they really sort of explored all these different avenues that i think the previous movies in the series got kind of shit on for i think so as well and i i and i think it's the better for it um you know it it, it does feel like uh it, you know maybe an overcorrection but but a good overcorrection sure. and you know and i noticed like um you know because i knew i had heard going in that mecha godzilla was in this movie which i think makes sense because you can and we'll get into the the fight specifically but it's you can't have either of these main characters actually die so like it makes sense that somebody would come in that they'd have to team up to fight against and who you know better than the one monster who's consistently bested godzilla in in mm -hmm. previous movies um and i got caught up with a couple like heisey era um 
uh, and Millennium Era Mecha Godzilla movies, like I think Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla two, and then Godzilla against Mecha Godzilla, and he fights him in the night in pretty much both those movies. But the 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 plus side is like it's actually lit and you can see it, and then also it's not always cutting back to like you said to a human perspective. And right. this movie fortunately has like one shot during the big title fight that like you see, and it's and it's a cool one. And then and then it cuts away and we actually get to see them fight. Um, and it happens twice um, because they do fight twice in this movie. Um, yeah. And, and I, I do want to go back to the beginning. We talked about like Kong being the main character of this movie. I think that's another thing we should kind of flesh out a little bit. Like, yes, sure. there's all these human elements. Yes, there's all these human characters. But like Kong is the main star of the movie it makes it makes sense he's had one less movie than godzilla in these monsterverse movies um so he's on skull island he is uh you know he's the last of really anybody there he's in a monarch base um and so alexander skarsgård's character who's trying to get kong to hollow earth to get the element for Damien Bashir and Apex, uh, him and Rebecca Hall clearly have some sort of relationship. Uh, he wants to bring Kong to Hollow Earth to find the element. Um, Rebecca Hall does not because uh, what what is what I like? It's not explained heavily, and I, I like this about the movie. She's like, no, because Godzilla will attack him. There's not any big like expositional scene. It's just like you've seen three of these movies already. You know about the Titans you know they're the last two left that's it like that's all you need to know <laughs> and right. so they take uh they take kong uh via ship which is i think a little bit of a throwback to um to 1962's king kong versus godzilla where king kong comes mm. over in a ship as well uh you know godzilla comes out of the water and attacks him which i honestly like even though this is a movie where big monsters fight and I know both of them are going to end up probably okay. Uh, that one actually had me a bit like tight in the chest and tense just be from the standpoint yeah. of like, well, cause you, you've established that Kong is our, our, you know, hero. He's got the hero's journey and we'll, we'll flush that out even more, but you know, he gets attacked. Like he's attacked in the water. It's like Godzilla has way more like uh oh, yeah. like positive attributes to to win in that situation like he's amphibious he could breathe underwater he's got his atomic breath kong can't breathe underwater um like it's just uh like that fight genuinely had me had me pretty tight and it's uh yeah. and it sets the stage early on too for like you said like clear daylight fights like it's got that big beautiful kind of like golden hour similarly to the opening helicopter attack in kong skull island um it's just like a beautiful splash godzilla comes out of the water uh and like there's Rex, all these like yeah Rex. there's all these like little like intricate explosions which reminds me of a toho movie where they'd had like the firecrackers on set going oh, yeah. off but they just did it in a bigger budget form um like it's it's really well done yeah, and and I, I I felt the exact same way. I I know that going into this, we had discussed. Uh, I think we'd even discussed on previous episodes, like how are they going to set this up to where you know there's a clearly defined villain, clearly defined hero, but then also put stakes in the movie. Because I know that in the the um, ads and stuff for this, they've been saying one will fall or whatever, and it's just uh, coming into this like bullshit. You're not gonna kill one of like the major properties. Like that, there's no way that one of these guys are gonna get bested in this movie. I didn't like honestly believe that, 
until I started seeing like this, this fight, and I knew it was early on in the movie and that this probably wasn't going to be something to take him out. But putting Kong in that immediately dangerous situation where like there's nothing that he's going to fucking do fighting from an aircraft carrier that Godzilla can just swim through like with, with zero resistance. He's like carving mm-hmm. up those ships with his uh, back spines um, like butter. He's just swimming right through them, blowing them in half and going on to the next one. Their rockets aren't phasing him. He's taking out uh, fighter jets with his tail. He's nuclear breath and shit. Like, and we're seeing Kong is sort of um, like having to strategically move from ship to ship in order to use it as like a battle arena. And so we're like, the more ships that that Godzilla's taken out, the less options that he has. And eventually, they're just going to be, you know, out of options and out of luck. So like, how like how can he possibly come out of this? And like, I, I don't want to get into full spoilers of how the the scene ends up, but. I think it is a very smart way of like putting them into immediately showing like Godzilla has the upper hand in so many ways here and making you actually care about uh, Kong to make the rest of the movie as his arc continues in the hero story. Now you sort of have to watch Kong get stronger, get better, have a better understanding of his world and he has to become more powerful or he'll have no shot against Godzilla. So you become more invested in him as a character. Exactly, which we get to see full flesh. Like he basically has to, <laughs> not to like reduce it, but he basically has like a kind of a Rocky Four esque like training montage at least once <laughs> after that scene because they they helicopter him uh, at that point to Antarctica to go through the Hollow Earth, um, and so he you know he goes through and kind of discovers. Um, you know, because he fights, he fights a couple, uh, not skull crawlers, but he fights a couple like dragon things, uh, which mm-hmm. is like a cool, like beautiful sequence. And then he finds like the the throne of which where his ancestors sat and he finds like the axe. Uh, and then, of course, the axe get empowered by the uh, the element that that uh, Apex is looking for. Um, you know, he, he goes through that. And so it's like, you know, it's like you said, it sets up really early on that he has a lot less. Uh, you know, both he's, he's been isolated for so long. I mean, we got to assume he's been isolated at least pretty close to the end of uh, Kong school Island to now, which is over 40 years. And so it's like, of course, he's probably a little rusty and he also just doesn't have as many um, strong as strong attributes as Godzilla does. And so they do a really, really good job setting that up. Um, And then of course they, it's once again, incredibly convoluted how they get them <laughs> together to fight each other oh my god uh, yeah so like essentially i guess to try and streamline it as much as i can um the 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 other the one arc with millie bobby brown and julian dennison and brian tyree henry and they end up on a ship that takes them to hong kong um to the apex lab there where they discover mecha godzilla um, the daughter of Damien Bashir uh, is along with Alexander Skarsgård and Rebecca Hall, uh, played by Eliza Gonzalez from Baby Driver, um, is so she gets the element and sends it essentially or like a DNA sort of replication to Apex um, <laughs> to power Mechagodzilla, uh, which we find out Mechagodzilla is being powered through the DNA and skull, one of the skulls of King Ghidorah, who was defeated in Godzilla King of the Monsters. Um, so there's that element. And so once they get the element, Godzilla realizes that and like shoots his atomic breath down <laughs> into the earth from Hong Kong. Okay, I guess it opens up a <laughs> hole. Like he just must have hit the hollow earth at the right spot because it opens up a hole and he 
<laughs> and then Kong can see him there. And then he. But I mean, like, by the time we get to that point, like you've already passed so many ridiculous things, like the the light rail from Florida to Hong Kong. Yes. Okay. Um, the the that Mecha Godzilla is powered by an element that they have no idea what it is. They take a core sample and they download a power source. They, the, the computer says downloading and it has like this progress bar that's like 50, 60, 70%, like very quickly invents a new element no one has ever heard of before. And then they immediately plug it into Mecha Godzilla that is powered by a telekinetic skull taken from one of the heads of Ghidorah and has like an engineer in it who's using like a VR headset in order right. to power it. So it's like his brain is connecting to the telepathic brain of Ghidorah, which is connected to Mecha Godzilla that's going through this power source. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. Godzilla, it's kind of like you- Pacific Rim in that way, because they have to yeah. like, get the two pilots have to mind meld to, to get the, uh, what is it, the Jaegers? I the forgot Jaeger. what they're called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you get that to work? Yeah, it's very much like that. And 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 then, yeah, after passing all of that absurdity, we get to Godzilla uh, blasting a hole into the center of the Earth using his nuclear breath. Yes, that's true. Uh, that's a lot of absurdity. And uh, I got to say, though, as much as it is absurd, I actually really liked what they did with the Mechagodzilla. Because Mechagodzilla, you know, I, I mentioned Pacific Rim, it really is he's it's like that usually like mechagodzilla is manned by a few people in a inside of him like like a or or like um like pacific rim or even like power rangers it's like the megazord essentially like you have a couple people operating it so i liked the idea of like uh you know again to go further with that frankenstein's monster thing that you know like like you said godzilla franchise has done for 60 years now that they subvert that idea by having it completely take on a mind of its own and i think that actually like helps i think that helps add some stakes to the fight because it isn't just like because it's like okay now you have this completely out of control mechanical device and no one knows what it's going to do um you know no one's had like it's not part of nature you know just like king Ghidorah, it's 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 an alien essentially like it's not on this earth we don't know what it's going to do and i think that uh, you know, like I said, it adds stakes into a movie that you you mentioned that one will fall thing that we did not think was going to have stakes, and it actually right. works. Well, and Ghidorah is a like he's Godzilla. I mean, other than Mecha Godzilla in the in the franchise history, he's pretty much the main enemy of Godzilla. He's yep. the most cunning. He's the most you know dangerous. And so, seeing the the we know what the the Mechagodzilla can do uh, when they're watching the Mechagodzilla, when they're doing the human test, when they have limited energy, uh, he picks up like that skull crawler and just blasts it, like bisects it in half, like from the head down down uh, through with its like energy beam mouth. Uh, so we like know it's extremely dangerous. And then like, okay, now it has a bunch more energy in it from this new element that nobody knows. And it's completely untethered from its masters. It, it's just... Ghidorah's like telepathic brain and we know Ghidorah fucking hates Godzilla so like Mm -hmm. we're immediately like oh we just jumped to an even higher degree of danger um and then to to show when they actually do come to blows that Godzilla is just outmatched in in every single regard 
um, there is a moment there where you're like, one of these guys are going to die. Like I, either he's going to straight up kill Godzilla or Kong, who is shown to be getting his ass kicked. He's old. Uh, he's coming towards his end. It's possible he might sacrifice himself. Like there, the, the it, it ends up sort of calling into question, coming into this being like, it, the no, nothing's really going to change. It's just going to be some slap fighting and then the movie will end. There is a few moments throughout where you're like, something might actually happen. And that's something I haven't really felt in the MonsterVerse um, through several of the iterations of these movies that I've watched. Absolutely. And it's smartly, to put a cap on the Kong being the main character argument, it smartly makes the monsters the characters front and center. Like it treats right. them as actual characters with arcs, with plights. And that really helps go into it. And then I guess like we could, you know, we could lay down, um, I mean, I guess we don't have to like lay down beat for beat what happens but i think it's it's really funny to me that this is structurally identical to the like final third of batman versus superman but it's like the like fun version the fun and truncated not drawn out version um so i know you've never seen batman versus superman Nope. But tell me, uh, which, you know, I'm going to I'm going to spoil it because you don't care. And I guess spoilers for for listeners. But tell me if you've heard this one before. Two icons go up against each other and there's a clear winner. Batman versus Batman and Superman fight each other. Batman best Superman. Uh, right. Batman has a point to where Superman is close to death. Uh, a villain is created from the DNA of one of their more formative foes in Batman versus Superman doomsday is created from the dna left over from general zod's body from man of steel and then so one of them is bested and then the bested ends up taking out the big bad which superman takes out doomsday uh superman dies in the process now no one dies in this movie but that is pretty much identically the structure to this movie godzilla and kong fight each other in the fight there is a clear winner it is godzilla godzilla beats kong and they scream at each other which i was hoping they would just make out like they were that close to doing <laughs> it i was really really i was like come on come on do it but they they never do so kong beats godzilla king kong lives king kong doesn't fuck in this one no he does not it's a shame though um but godzilla beats kong within an inch of his life uh they have to defibrillate kong with the <laughs> with like the the like spacecraft that was used to take them to uh hollow earth which is like a whole nother bananas uh element of just like okay space defibrillator this is where we're at in this movie sure Um, because godzilla is getting wrecked by mecha godzilla just like completely and utterly wrecked and then um king kong is kind of reluctant but then he is told by by gia that hey godzilla is not the enemy mechagodzilla is the enemy you should go help him um and so that's basically what he does takes the axe and starts wrecking uh wrecking mechagodzilla um and i i have to point this out i mean i know we're going to be talking about um fighting games and the new mortal Kombat movie in the coming weeks but i just have to point out that king kong does sub-zero's iconic fatality on Mechagodzilla, where he rips out his skull with his spine intact and holds it up in the air. And I I thought that was awesome. Not gonna lie. It was it was like the dumbest, geekiest shit. And I thought it was a blast. And you think it was an intentional nod, which I do too. I, I definitely think it was an intentional nod. Yeah, I think like, I mean, I know 
Jordan Vogue Roberts, who directed Kong School Island, is more like the video game guy. I think he was tapped at one point. I don't know if it's still in development, but I know he was in talks to do the the Metal Gear Solid movie that has been trying to get off the ground for 30 years now. Um, or, or I mean, I guess not 30 years, but it's, it's seemingly been trying to be made forever. I know he directed the, I think the launch trailer for Destiny 2, I want to say. Oh. Um, so I think there's a lot of like DNA there. And I think Adam Wingard, uh, who directed this, which I got to say, um, you know, as a huge, huge fan of Your Next and The Guest, uh, two awesome movies that were like sadly neglected financially anyway um, you know they found their audience since uh, I'm very happy for him and I'm happy this movie's good because his last couple um, you know I love his work usually but his last couple Blair Witch and Death Note um, yeah. were not great so I, I'm, I'm very happy and I think his horror background really helped too because this movie was like for lack of a better term is like goopier than the other ones like you know like kong like decapitates that uh dragon thing and like it eats his yeah, like, yeah guts out him. which yeah, yeah which i think you might have already mentioned I, I don't recall but i know we talked about those creatures like it's and there's just some like goopy gross stuff in this movie that i'm like okay this this is adam wingard's touch and i mean we yeah. should also point out he said in an interview so like the things that because this this happens a lot where like you know because these films are so big and they have to appeal to a wide audience there are certain things that are like said in a, a interview that um a film might be like or a character might be like and then you see the film and you're like well that's a load of bullshit um yeah. you know that they just have to see i feel like anything i've seen based on like what he said in interviews did come to light in this movie he said there was going to be a clear winner there was a clear winner um in the in the title fight anyway um right. well i mean clear winner in the other fight too but like you know there's a clear winner um he said that he modeled uh kong's movements after uh like 80s action movies um sp and then specifically the shot when uh godzilla is shooting his nuclear breath up from under the water and kong jumps into the water just like like john mcclain jumping off nakatomi plaza um, and it's like, it's very clear that that is the inspiration. So it's that... very clear, but it's really weird because he's, he's an ape. So he's got very different proportions for Bruce Willis. And so it looks, <laughs> you can tell if you're looking at it, you're like, oh yeah, this is pretty much it. If they were to be using a wireframe or whatever, he's doing the exact movement, but he's got the big arms and like the barrel chest and stuff. And so it, it, it's very strange to see such a human movement, uh, out of a giant ape. It is, but it's also kind of awesome. And that's I, great. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the, that's, I think that's what I enjoy about this movie is like, it just, it makes no apologies or no bones for just being like, quote unquote, awesome. It's like, here's, it's Godzilla versus Kong. Godzilla and Kong fight each other for a considerably long amount of time. And then they fight Mecha Godzilla and you get to have it. Uh, you basically get to have your cake and eat it too with this movie. So it's, it's really fun um i guess a couple other things to note maybe uh well number one we did watch the original king kong versus godzilla leading up to this which neither of us had seen at the time of our last episodes and uh that movie's pretty bad yeah. um shockingly bad actually um but it is the first like versus movie uh like you know even before godzilla versus mothra and godzilla versus king Ghidorah. so they had some kings to work out but um if anybody remembers that movie for anything, 
it's and it because it gets gift a lot online is the scene where kong force feeds godzilla a uh, palm tree and they more or less replicate that in this movie with like a neon uh palm tree that's in like the cityscape of hong kong and that uh kong forces it into godzilla's face so that that was a lot of fun um and then another thing i want to note too that's exciting at least from a from you know because it's been a rough year for everything but you know specifically for movie theaters um godzilla versus kong uh as at the time of this recording opened to almost 50 million since its wednesday launch um the highest yeah which is great the highest um since the COVID 19 pandemic it's almost made the domestic numbers of complete domestic numbers of both tenet and wonder woman 1984 um it's worldwide it's hard to say domestically because we just don't know in this this uncertainty but um worldwide it's going to make more money than godzilla king of the monsters did which was released not in a pandemic um which is pretty impressive uh and all the more impressive that the movie is also on hbo max for people to watch as a subscription so that uh you know i'm just happy that something is is doing uh, something is doing well um, and that people, when they feel safe to or have been fully vaccinated, that they will return to the movie theater. And that's really good to see. Yeah, which is something I'll say, too. I'm, when I watch this, uh, I'm not vaccinated yet. Uh, my wife and I have not had that opportunity uh, to, to get that done. Um, so we watched this at home. And this was the first movie that I've watched uh, during the pandemic that I've been like, oh, God, like, I really wish I would have been able to see this in the theater. And I think uh, hopefully this continues to do well and I'm able to get a uh, vaccine sometime soon and and i'm able to go to the theater and watch it because i i definitely will it's it's such a a huge spectacle so much eye candy going on that you know it looked great on, on my tv at home but i would love to see it projected on the biggest biggest screen possible and to just have you know a dolby atmos surround sound uh the the sound editing in this is great the the fights in um the, the fight in hong kong with the crumbling buildings and um them like blasting back and forth like you can hear the way that it's like coming from your left or coming from your right and just watching it at home it's like i wish i would have had a much more robust speaker setup because it's it's it it's really just based around that spectacle and it's it, it very successful in that i i agree fully and i um and I, you know i should full disclosure um you know people's health is their business but i have been fully vaccinated and i did go see the movie in a movie theater and, uh, you know, obviously you need to work to your own safety. Um, you know, even if you're fully back, some people don't feel safe and that's totally fine. Um, I think the, the thing to note, because um, I agree the overwhelming spectacle, if, if possible, if safely should be seen in the biggest environment possible. But I think that also speaks to how well the movie accomplishes what it sets out to do because we saw it on two completely different formats and we both more or less came out with the same um feeling so that's definitely good on the movie for sure um so yeah kudos to the movie and i would have watched it at home if i did not find myself in the fortunate circumstances to do so um but you know mine would have been a little bit muted muted because even though i have a um 5.1 surround system i i would be watching it the way adam 
Wingard intended, which is about half volume with subtitles while your toddler sleeps. So, um, right. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I would not have gotten the full, even at home with a good setup, I, I personally would not have gotten the full experience out of that. So, um, but it is, yeah, it, I mean, that's, a, it is a lot of fun. And it is also shows, uh, to me at least, I don't know about this hybrid release model going forward. I mean, I know that Warner Brothers and Regal kind of came to a consensus. So in 2022, this HBO Max thing will not uh, be a thing um, that, you know, completely understand that in unprecedented times, you got to do what you got to do. But by mm -hmm. then, um, this won't be a thing. There'll be uh, theatrical exclusivity. It'll just be shortened which I think is a good thing coming out of this, that theatrical windows will shorten, um, but that there will still be exclusive theatrical windows. Um, just because, I mean, most movies make their money in the first two, three, four weeks tops anyway. Um, so it, make, it makes no sense to hold theaters to, uh, or theaters to hold studios to 90 days when like it's making peanuts by the time it hits that point. Right, exactly. Yeah, and it, it hurts small time theaters that have, uh, they have fewer screens since, you know, if you have an exclusivity deal where you, you know, have to show the latest Star Wars for four weeks and everybody in the town watched it in the first two, you're hurting for those following yep. two weeks. Exactly. So I think more flexibility going forward is good. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I was certainly as a as a theater lover, as an ex-theater employee, ex-theater manager, projectionist, all <laughs> Swiss Army knife of working in a theater. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was really concerned about this HBO Max deal. I was like, yeah, I, I get it. You know, of course, like, you know, you have a slate of movies, can't keep delaying everything. Um, I understand. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, how's this going to do theater? Uh, you know, what, how is this going to do for theaters? And considering that the, you know, again, we're on a COVID curve, but considering that the highest grossing movies of the year, uh, domestically anyway, are Godzilla versus Kong and checking my notes, the Tom and Jerry movie. <laughs> um which was also warner brothers and went to hbo max as well right. um the fact that those are the highest grossing movies of the year shows that hey this at least um you know at least in the interim as things slowly start to heal that this maybe was a wise decision so yeah um it's good and that it's not a defunct business model i i could no. see a lot of um i could see not so much tentpole movies i think tentpole movies are still going to want to push for um, the big wide theatrical releases, but I could see this sort of situation happening for a lot of indie movies yep. um, that, that would definitely find success and find wider audiences by, by having these simultaneous releases. And a lot of them already do. I know IFC does, and I know um, like Radius, which is a now a defunct company, but I like I remember going to seeing um, uh, Only God Forgives on opening night and it was available on VOD uh, the same day. Same with uh, Blue Ruin. Uh, as well mm -hmm. um so like th this that model for smaller movies has been going on for a minute and it's seemingly successful because the audience for those movies will go seek them out in a theater if they care to um right. and so i think that's you know it, it's good it's good seeing that people are hungry for it um and i guess satiating that hunger perfectly for the a return to the big screen of sorts is two of the biggest icons in cinema history uh you know basically having a giant wwe match so uh hey you know it's it's a win-win it's kind of poetic isn't it where, yeah. where you know the the theaters you know on on death's door uh because of covid and and people not really wanting to go back 
now things are starting to come back around and you know what is the one that's really sort of is here to uh, be the standout in terms of box office gross and in terms of you know the amount of people that are talking about it the amount of excitement that surrounds it are you know two of uh, the, the the real big um, markers in cinema history be between King Kong and Godzilla uh, here to start it back up again. Yeah, it's it's really nice, and I couldn't. I, I think that might be a good spot to to wrap this up. Do you have any other final thoughts on Godzilla versus Kong? Uh, no, I I, I would say um, I started this as not a monster movie fan, not a kaiju fan, um, and, and uh, admittedly, a lot of that was because of just pure ignorance. There was a lot of the the series that I hadn't watched, and I, I'm coming out the other end um, with a much more um, I would say optimistic opinion about them. I, I think I definitely, especially in the King Kong world, uh, I loved uh, the, the original King Kong uh, and there's been things, you know, throughout that have been hit or miss for me. Um, but I'm super happy to, to have done this and, and really opened up um, my catalog of movies to this whole side that I had largely ignored my entire life. Me too. And, and I, I've really enjoyed the fact that we got to do this and, um, you know, I feel more, uh, you know, better for the wiser for it. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's really exciting. Um, there's still some more I want to seek out. So uh, on my own terms, which is great. Uh, I guess the last thing I would say is, um, you know, I, I should give this zero out of five because there was no uh, post-credit stinger teasing Manila. There was no sight of Manila uh, in this movie at all. Uh, that was really dispiriting. Um, so I, I, I would ask Adam Wingard, Hey man, what gives <laughs> what what hate would be the true threat that, that they would, that when they attacked, uh, Mechagodzilla, the suit would fall away and you would find out that Manila was in the heart of it the entire time. This is just like six Manila stacked on top of each other. <laughs> in a French coat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing. That would, that would, that would catapult it to maybe the best movie ever made uh, if that was the case i'm still um, waiting for that hbo spinoff series of uh the the adventures of manila hard the hard r cut <laughs> Re hard release MC release the manila cut, cut. <laughs> oh, oh man uh one can dream one can hope um but i think that's uh, officially the spot we should end this episode <laughs> on um before we sign out uh i was gonna say next week but because this episode is coming to you on a monday uh, it is this week, our next episode. Uh, so it, it is your picks, Chris. So uh, why don't you tell people, um, I know it's a little awkward because a peek behind the curtain, we've already recorded this episode, but um, what are we talking about? I forgot. So <laughs> That's um, staying in. Let me remind myself. Uh, yeah, my picks were uh, uh, Siege movies, uh, specifically Siege movies, um, based on uh, our characters being in a strange land or a strange area, and then they have to escape. Awesome. I was going to say I'm excited to talk about it, but we've already talked about it. So I'm excited to share it with our listeners. Um, but in the meantime, you can find all of our episodes on our website at thegoodbadwhat.com. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, and many others. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at thegoodbadwhat. You can email us at thegoodthebadthewhat at gmail.com if you have a question, comment, or if you just want to say, hey, if you're feeling generous and want to support the show, 
we have a donations tab on our website and all donations will go back into the show, whether that's to offset the cost of running movies that we discuss or upgrading our equipment. Our logo comes from Michelle Parkos and our theme music comes from Paco, whose portfolio and SoundCloud link you could find in the show notes respectively. Chris, where can more people find you uh, individually online? Uh, yeah, if you're so inclined, you can find me on Twitter at thochristo89. And you can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at Ryali90. That's R-Y-O-L-L-I-E 90. And thank you for listening. And we'll catch you on Friday with a new episode. <laughs>